you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Spirit of God, uh, I think it's evident that you're in this room right now, so we're not even going to invite you. We just want to acknowledge your presence here in this place. As even for myself, I just kind of take a step back and, and take a deep breath. Knowing that what the song said is true, that you are for me, you're for us. God, and it's good that we're here today. I pray as we open your word that you speak to us, that you give us the holy nudge that some of us need, God, that you conflict those who need to be conflicted and you comfort those who need to be comfort as we look to your word. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to read a passage, but I'm not going to tell you the passage yet until a little bit later. So hear the word of the Lord. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled all around me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountain that I sunk, the earth below barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought me life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you and your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, I want us to, to, to see this picture that we've seen in numerous movies, but it's this man that's on the beach and he's unconscious. He's laying with his face in the sand and it's daytime. And the waves are rolling up on his legs back and forth and he has seaweed and he is a mess. We don't know if he's dead or alive, but then violently with a choke, he vomits out the water that he had inhaled and he rolls over onto his back, breathing heavily with a new appreciation of this breath that he thought he would never have again. And he takes a breath. And he looks up at the sky, and it's blue, and he can hear the chirping of the birds, and he is thankful to be alive, to have another chance. Now, as we go back to the words that we just spoke from the book of Jonah in chapter 2, we know that this man is the prophet Jonah, and he is in this particular situation for a very specific reason, and we're going to look at that reason a little bit tonight, but what I want to capture as we see Jonah on the beach with the blue skies and the birds chirping and the new appreciation for breath, even though he's disheveled and he is a mess, we go back to the words that he speaks from inside of a fish. That's fun, isn't it? Man, Jonah, 
from the depths of the sea, swallowed up and engulfed, dying dead, crying out. There he lies now with a greater appreciation to the calling that he had. So a few days before this scene happens, Jonah is is spoken to by God. So Jonah is a prophet. He's one of the 12 minor prophets that we find in the Bible right after Obadiah and Micah. So if you want to turn to that, you can. We're going to go through the whole book today. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to uh, paraphrase it and give you the cliff notes of it. But the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And Jonah, he tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them and preach against them basically because of their deeds. So unlike Isaiah who hears the word of the Lord and says, send me, I'll go. Jonah says nothing, but he takes off. He takes off running in the opposite direction. He's going down to Joppa and then down to Tarshish. And he is trying to flee the calling of the Lord. But God follows his chosen. And God pursues Jonah. Now, when we hear this story, because it's a quick four chapters, we tend to synchronize the events into this very clean, like timely manner, like it happened in one afternoon and then Jonah's thrown over the board and then a fish pops him out and then he's in Nineveh and then it's all, you know, just in this tight thing. But this is like a multiple day, weeks, months journey. The commitment for Jonah to go to this new uncharted territory at the time was a multi-year commitment. That's how serious he was to get away from God who had called him to do something that he could not do. So God pursues him. He pays his his share to get onto the boat, and a violent storm comes upon the sea, one so violent that it scares these seasoned sailors. The boat is rocking back and forth. It's mayhem. We've seen the movies. We hear the people screaming and crying out and holding on to the things and then falling off here and, you know, jumping in. It's, it's complete mayhem. And it, it makes me think, like, for me, I've, I've never been in a storm on a boat but I've had a couple of like pretty heavy sea moments where it just strikes this fear or this awe. A few years back, we went to Boston, uh, my wife and I and my brother-in-law and sister, and we went to Boston and went and stayed on the island of Nantucket. And to get to Nantucket, you go from the mainland and you take a ferry across. It's a few hour trip, I believe. And when I was out there, it's like, this is like Cape Cod waters, like Jaws, like the, the cold, no one should be in there, rocky, uninviting, can't see your hand, which I like the ocean when you can see your feet and your hand. Um, I like clear waters and beaches and people who bring you food. I love that while in the sand. But I had, I had this feeling going there and coming back where you look over at the water and it just seems so dangerous. Have any of you ever like felt that, like the power of, of water or, or a boat, maybe, maybe swimming or, or almost drowning or being in a situation where you felt helpless or out of control? 
I've had a couple of those. One time, not to brag, but I worked at a church in Hawaii for a summer, and it was awesome. But I sunk an outrigger, one of those large canoes with the thing that goes fast. I sunk one of those. I think I've told the story in here before, but I sunk one way too far off the beach, and I almost panicked. But there's this sheer just like power that the ocean, the seas bring. And it's almost as if it was created to be such because it goes beyond just a single phobia for it's a human experience. Even in the beginning, the spirit of God hovered over the chaotic waters. So God pursues Jonah and the boat is being thrown back and forth, back and forth. And the men start freaking out and they start throwing over some of their cargo, that which they're going for the very first place. They're throwing over their profit margins and all of their livelihood just so that they don't die. And they are looking for this other man who's not helping. And they go down into the cargo hold of the ship and they find Jonah. And what is he doing? He's sleeping. He is sound asleep during a violent storm that you know he knows he caused. So they wake him up and they ask him the question, how could you be sleeping right now? And he says, nothing. So they start freaking out. And they're like, where are you from? Who are you? What are you doing? And he finally speaks and he says, I'm a Hebrew. I am a servant of God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea. And they say, pray to your God. And, and they cast lots and they don't know what to do. And Jonah just finally says, just throw me over kill me. Now, part of me, a, a large part of me thinks when he offers this proclamation that he's not necessarily trying to save the people on the boat, but he's so committed to running away from God that he's willing to die then respond to the calling God has in his life. And even these men who were throwing the cargo over, they don't want his blood on their hands. They're actually acting more pious than the prophet. And they cry out to his God saying, do not punish us for this. We don't want his blood on our hands, but they cannot get to the shore. So what do they do? They heave him overboard. And we see what happens to Jonah, but what happens on the deck is the water grows calm and they realize that this man's God has the power to control even the seas and the wind. So Baal had to fight Yom in order to be the God of the Babylonians. Marduk, the Assyrian God, which he's going to Assyria to preach the word of God, has to overcome the God of sea as well. But Yahweh is unrivaled and he is in hot pursuit of the person that he called. Jonah spiraling down to the depths. Man, I want us to sit there and hang in that tension just for a moment. Just sit in the, the turmoil and the chaos of trying to catch your breath and thinking it is over. Have you ever 
and held your breath for a very long time. What happens when that breath is like, it's gone? You, 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 your body starts to convulse. I've held my brother who's in the second, third row right there underwater so many times to get him to that point. He's still with us by the grace of God. But you know that feeling. It's, it's panic. It's like this, this seizing convulsion that comes upon you, and you freak out. And that was just in a hot tub when we were growing up, let alone the seas. Now, that, that trip from Nantucket back to Boston, I was having these thoughts of how dangerous the sea is. And we got back and we got to our hotel. We stayed the night in Boston and the next morning turned on the news. And that very ferry that we had ridden was wrecked on some jetties just right off the shore. And I was thinking, man, that could have been us a long, cold night. Nobody was injured. Nobody uh, drowned in the water. But like just the sheer helplessness of this modern boat still getting shipwrecked. And then you, you think of, you see Jonah just thrown off without any possible chance at all. He's dead. It's done. It's over. In that deep darkness of life itself, as he began his descent, when he began to run from the Lord down to Joppa, into the boat, to the bottom of the boat, to the bottom of the sea. Now, the, the author of this book is very clever. When you read the prophets, you read so with heavy imagery and metaphor, and nuance, and satire, and even comedy as you read. But this book tells us what God is like, what God is like and his calling on his people. And so when his people run away from God, when they create space or distance away from God, what happens? You descend into this darkness, this void that is the opposite of life, but into the depth of the grip of death. Now, if you were to preach Jonah to an inland people who have never been reached and never seen pictures, who have no idea what the ocean was, how would you preach this message? You could say a whale swallowed up, one of the ones that you dig into the earth and get the water from and Jonah fell into a whale and it was dark and he was drowning and he was away from God. But there's this darkness that covers us, this depth that we go when we actively reject the calling God has on our life. Now, a, a, a lot of us, when we think of the word calling, we get really uneasy and intimidated because a lot of the people who say I was called by God in these times are not necessarily people we want to be like. There's a confidence, right? When somebody says, God told me to tell you, you need to stop running, which he did. God has told me right now to tell some of you to stop running, but that's more of a cloaked over, like, throw it out there. It's going to stick with some of you, and I believe the Spirit will do the rest. But when somebody's like, God, you know, God, I'm so sure God has told me to even move to Arizona and start a church, that is something that I had to act on as somebody who felt that nudging and that calling. But I also resolved, and I've, I've come to terms with the fact that you know where it could have been? 
anywhere. Anywhere. I'm in Phoenix now. It's true. I love Phoenix. I'm really sad to leave Phoenix. I love my house. I love riding my bike to meet people for coffee or at the brewery or wherever we end up hanging out. I'm going to miss the golfing and the friendships. But God could have called me to Houston. I'm so glad he didn't. It's gross there. We call it the armpit of Texas. It's very sweaty. It's true, you know. God could have called me to Manhattan, to Boulder, Colorado, to Chandler. I know. It's weird how God calls you to the place you want to live, right? (laughs) But it it, it could be... uh, This isn't scripted, by the way. This is like, I, I feel like going there. It could be anywhere. This calling God has on your life, I've realized that Kaleo Phoenix, it's not meant to save Phoenix. It's not meant to save the city of Phoenix. Phoenix didn't need Kaleo, but you know who did? This community. It needs Kaleo. For me, I needed Kaleo. I needed Phoenix. I needed to see what God was like in practicing the ways with Jesus as a community here in the fifth largest city in the country. But all of that comes with this hindsight view of looking back to what God has done. Because there's been times in my life as well that I have ran from God. I've created distance and space away from God in a way that it has caused me to be dark and sad and anxious and even depressed in ways. And I find this correlation between my own personal health and flourishing when I am creating space to connect with God, to be close with God in the context of community. Doing it day by day while acknowledging that there are seasons in our lives where we are drowning in the ocean and there's seasons in our lives when we're laying on our back on the beach appreciative to be alive. And then you get up from that sand, you get on your hands and your knees and you thank the Lord for the very breath in your lungs and you put another foot in front of the next, knowing that God is going to pursue you wherever you go. So what does that look like in application in your lives? I mean, some of you are processing some some pretty huge life changes or or things going on in their life. Uh, Aaron's getting married this month. Yes, that's cool. We love Aaron and Kendall and, and, and Chris is about to do ministry without a buddy and his wife has just started her new job as a doctor and I'm, what's, what's harping on this? And for us, we're having a fourth baby. I didn't feel called to have four kids, by the way. I don't take, be fruitful and multiply literally, but here we are. Uh, a friend Micah is planting a church in the greater Phoenix region. He's figuring out his location. Orange shirt, awesome mullet, uh, decent golfer, big trash talker. Good guy, though. Um, 
but y'all are here at Kaleo. Don't go to his church. But, but there's, some ser- there's some serious decisions that we are making that are made in life. And life comes in these seasons where it seems like these decisions or these callings, if you will, pile up to where they seem overwhelming or that you can't catch your breath. And then there's times where you're just bored and you wish God would do something. You wish God would move. You wish you had a, a full calendar so you could tell people, hey, Tuesday's not good for me. Let's try next Wednesday. Sometimes that happens as we come out of the season of isolation of COVID. We all are somewhat aware that we miss the hustle and bustle. But life comes to us wave after wave. I'm not even going to conclude this sermon the way that I have written down, which was really, really good. And I'm going to be respectful of time. I actually haven't ever preached like this before. But I think I've come to the realization that God actually does not care what you do. God doesn't care about what you do. God cares about who you are. God cares about who you are. Ben, will you come up and bring the Holy Spirit as I somewhat wrap this up with Jonah still? Now, Jonah has ran and he has fled and he had this realization that he needed God. And he says from the belly of that fish, that big fish is the translation in Hebrew, very creative word. And he says, God, I'm going to do what you asked. I'm going to preach your salvation. I am going to move in this way. And he is, he is vomited up on the beach with this greater appreciation and this greater understanding and this greater worshipful spirit. And he goes and he preaches against the Ninevites. And you know what they do? They repent. They weep. They break. And do you want to know what Jonah does? He throws a fit. Jonah cries out to God saying, this is exactly why I left in the very first place. This is why I ran. This is why I wanted to die because you are a gracious and generous and forgiving God. And I knew that if I preached your message, because I know who you are, that you were going to forgive them. And I hate them. I don't want them to experience your goodness. I don't want them to be close to you. They are against us. They are evil. Their policies are against humanity. Their ways of life are against the ways of God's people. Their very existence is an insult and the spitting upon your face. They have insulted you time and time and time again. They look down on us. They are barbaric. They are brutal. They are pagan. And they gloat in the fact but with the word of the Lord spoken in faithfulness they repent so Jonah goes out into the desert to do what? to die he creates space again just like he did when he fled on the boat seeming to forget the miraculous 
salvific experience of him being sped up on the beach and he builds a shelter and he complains to God. He wants to die. And God sees him out there and he builds up this plant to give him shade and it says Jonah really liked this shade and this plant. He's like mad and he's pouting, but it's kind of a nice relaxing place. But then the next day he sends this worm and the worm eats up this plant and the plant shrivels and dies. And, and he is so indignant about what God has done that he just says over and over, kill me, it's over, kill me, it's over. And God says to him, Jonah, why do you care about this plant so much? You didn't water it. You didn't make it grow. Why do you care? And in the same way, why do you care if I've saved 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh? That's how the book of Jonah ends. Did Jonah die out there? I don't know. Did something click in Jonah with the whole experience of his entire life and calling to where it's that moment where he realizes, I've been speaking the things of God, but I haven't myself been changed by them. For if I knew he was gracious, why am I not? God cares about who you are and your being will lead to your doing. While you might overcomplicate things or you might have big visions, never neglect the fact that we are called to put on the character of Christ and to embody him, to be the image bearers and ambassadors of the kingdom of God where we currently are. And God will pursue us across state lines. God will pursue us when we go to our jobs and into our schools and into our homes and into our beds. God will be with us because that's the God that we serve. Jesus, we, we come to you today, God, broken people, people who experience seasons, ebbs and flows, tension, turmoil, new chapters, additions to family, changing of careers or even just life stages, new relationships or the dissolving of them. God, and in that, we just let go our tight grip of control we have in our lives and we give it to you and we say, God, let us be like you. Show us your way. May we do so faithfully in community with wisdom of others, our brothers and sisters, as we fall forward every day to look just a little bit more like you. Pray all this in your name. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.